When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Off Topple Empire, with no more reasons to run away to Las Vegas, uh, half our podcast still has a diaper to change regardless of how recently that was last done at the time of recording. The diaper must be changed. It must always be changed. And yet it has to be said. Better handling infant feces ten times a day than watching any more of Michigan State football. Today on Off Topple Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off-Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off-Tackle Empire, where I would like to remind you that I have not cleaned up any poop in many, many weeks. Um, oh, even, oh, oh, all right, all right, okay. It, it would right. be pretty solid. Okay, all right, all right, okay. We're okay, I'm sorry, indoor poop, indoor poop, indoor poop. Outdoor poop I have cleaned up. Although, again, I did inform you about the trick shot through the chain link fence <laughs> that somebody perpetrated on me on one of our walks. Well, you did, but that's also a not-your-problem thing. It's on the other side of a fence, so... Yes, somebody's uh, making me into an asshole. <laughs> anyway, I'm Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumpsaurus. You're listening to a Big Ten podcast at the end of the season, which means that, well, we don't know exactly what to talk about because, you know, of course, the Saturday after Thanksgiving is not only time for big-time rivalry week, but it's also time for decision time on coaches. It's time for... Who's in? Which I don't give a shit about. We're not gonna um, do it. Fortunately, that's pretty simple this year, and we're also not gonna spend more than like twenty seconds on it. So that will be easy to deal with. Uh, but yeah, it's a confusing time in the life cycle for both of us. I, of course, with the infant child. You, of course, with your NFL team also turning its back on you, such that this weekend, if the Vikings win, the thing that clinches them division is if the Lions lose a game. So. It's weird times, man. We're we're again. Time really does not have any meaning to me anymore. Baby is settled into, uh, they're really that that kind of golden hour where they want to be awake is eleven p.m. to three a.m. or so. Since the podcast, uh, I mean, since since you know the last podcast came out, here's how much time doesn't mean anything. I learned about the rise of uh, Jalen Kitna and his dramatic fall. Right? You know, this, of course, being every time the son of a NFL guy we remember comes up and we have to text each other that this happened. I saw Jalen Kitna enter the Florida-Florida State game. And then very recently, uh, Jalen Kitna was ended forever by a very serious charge. Overshadowed by Mickey Joseph not taking news of missing out on the job well. So that kind of answers the role he's going to have. Um we're gonna we're we're almost, we're almost spoiling the news. So, the way we're gonna handle this week, since it's a season-ending recap for most of us, is 
talk about what the big picture storylines were in the conference, and then we'll get into the typical review of last week's games, even though I certainly don't want to do it. You had a good enough time. I mean, it, 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 is, it is saying something about how far Illinois has come that even a crushing win in the lol hat game is not enough to improve your mood very much. I mean, once I once I kind of had accepted. I mean, honestly, the the act of God that finally struck down the Illini's chances to go to Indy was so decisive and so clearly an act of divine intervention. I am, of course, speaking about the snipering of the Indiana quarterback, yeah. uh, which was ordered by whatever deity doesn't want Illinois and Indy or Kevin Warren himself. Uh, but that was so decisive that it was just kind of, well, clearly not something. It, it went on top of a field goal that I didn't think actually went through the uprights and all of those other kinds of things. as just like, well, it was clearly not, like, it, it, it's one of those, like, fights in a video game that you're not supposed to win. And all you can do is just keep doing damage, like, repeatedly. And it's like, oh, okay, it's there's, a storyline loss. There'll be okay. a, there's a ten minute cutscene coming up here and then... The story yeah, will be getting. So, yeah, yeah uh, I'm going to crack a Bell's official and make it official on the season that was. So, in the offseason, of course, the big picture, long-term storyline of the conference year was the surprise edition of USC and UCLA, and we bring that up again now, not to necessarily discuss it. I think the details remain basically as they are. No invitations have gone out to other schools, but there is one potentially gigantic wrinkle coming up in that a few weeks ago and I feel like this wasn't really discussed in many places or maybe I was just you know with the baby of it all maybe I, I missed the chatter kind of know what you're getting towards well what I'm getting towards is pretty straightforward which is that remember UCLA is part of the Cal public university system part right. of the University of Cal system um, so is Cal Berkeley aka Cal and there is a board of regents that votes on stuff with the way their system is set up. Hello, Moon. And the board of regents is meeting on December 14th, a couple of weeks from now, to decide whether to allow UCLA to go to the Big Ten. They could still nix that move if they felt like it. No money has changed hands. No contracts have been signed. They could say, you're not going. And I know everyone who is in, certainly everyone in the college football journalism world probably laughed at this like but they're gonna make so much money they're gonna have so much exposure ucla is one of the three or four best public universities in the country they have a hundred thousand applicants a year for a number of spots a fraction of that number they don't need the exposure if the regents decide we think it's more important that those guys stay here and play cal and stanford that's what they're going to do. Well, specifically Cal, which is a part of the yeah. system that the Board of Regents governs. Yeah, so really the question that you could pose to the Board of Regents if you were an opponent to this move is, do you want to let UCLA leave Cal behind to near certain death in terms of academic, in terms of athletic success? Of course, you know, whoever it is that's running Cal uh, has named their stadium FTX Stadium, well, they got the money in advance. Though. Yes. So, again, they could have done worse. They could have been the Miami Heat. <laughs> or Tom Brady. So, anyway, that's the next major development on this. I, I really feel like nobody is talking about this. Apparently, under the assumption that 
And look, big TV contracts, all anyone wants is to get into the playoff. You get better access to the playoff, bigger TV deal if you're in the Big Ten. I don't know if it's like a Colin Coward voice I'm trying to do or what this is, but everyone seems to be taking it as fait accompli that this move is done. I don't have, I mean, look, we don't have inside sources. We're two guys sitting here in southeastern Michigan. We have no idea what the actual, like, this is a very politically involved thing, of course. It could well be that this decision is already made. There's nothing to worry about. But that it isn't even being discussed is a little weird to me. Because it is still possible that this whole move could be unwound. I would be very surprised if USC goes forward with the move if UCLA decides they're not going. Well, of course, the other private school in the Pac-12 is Stanford, who doesn't really add much of value in football now that they've let go their Big Ten coach. Well... They didn't let him go. He turned in his resignation. He reviewed, David Shaw reviewed ah, the spreadsheets. He reviewed the spreadsheets and he's evaluating the numbers and decided it's time for a change. It's time for me to not make an obscene amount of money to win very few football games. And so he quit. <laughs> he's only yes. 50 years old. Did you know that? Wow. I think he's younger than Mel Tucker. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, as you mentioned, so David Shaw out at Stanford. One of many seats that have opened a number of spots on the carousel have been filled recently. The hot... Of course, between him and Steve Adazio, uh, prospects have looked grim for true Big Ten-style football coaching outside of the conference footprint. Well, yes and no. I, I tend to think if most SEC coaches had a toned-down level of talent, they would very quickly look like Big Ten football. Um, I think it's just because... I, I think the availability of receivers and running back that like it tends to just push them out of that range in your mind. Like their players score accidentally whether they intend for them to or not. But give them a Spencer Petrus or a Ryan Halinski and I think there are plenty of coaches in the SEC who could put up ten points a game. Well one of them had a Ryan Halinski. I don't recall how that went. I did the guy who had him was fired, right? Yeah, that <laughs> so. is true. Uh and then Smaller scale in terms of this season, the surprise firing of Paul Chris. I think surprise is the right word. After the fact, you know, details came to light where it's like, okay, this makes sense. But nobody could tell that that stuff was happening from the outside. Like, you could tell maybe this milk has gone a little bit sour. But I don't think many people would have thought Wisconsin was going to make that move. And, of course, Nebraska, a much more understandable move. Although the timing of that one just brings you back to the whole, if he was on that short of a leash, why did you not fire him in the offseason? Because you didn't wait long enough to save the buyout. So what were we doing here? Both of those uh, vacancies now filled. Nebraska hiring Matt Rule, the recently de-smocked coach of the Carolina Panthers. I assume they when they call him in, instead of like turning in your gun and badge or even like your keys to the office, so give, they have a couple guys like take the Panthers' smock, tactical smock off of him <laughs> and escort him from the building. And then Wisconsin, with a bit of a... I think it had come to feel like most people assumed Jim Leonard was just going to get the job. Instead, they go and pull Luke Fickle from Cincinnati. A surprising and frankly impressive move. A coup. Absolutely. There's really I, no two ways about it. Probably the most qualified group of five head coach. I mean... You could compare Brian Kelly making the move to Notre Dame, I guess. What he had done yeah, at Cincinnati is probably... the closest equivalent. Yeah. 
hopefully he doesn't end up being anywhere near the same kind of person. I don't really know a lot about Luke Fickle personally. Other than, again, I'm trying to approach this objectively because, to me, if I look at the difference between the Wisconsin and Michigan State jobs, I don't see a whole lot. Um, I haven't seen details of his contract yet in terms of what he's going to get, but I cannot imagine he's going to be making more money than Michigan State could have offered him with the resources they have available. So, plainly there was something about the job, maybe having a state to himself appeals to him. Or perhaps it just wasn't the right time. He hadn't accomplished what he wanted to accomplish at Cincinnati. That's true. He maybe felt like he could leave and, you know, really have the program in a good place because they're going to the Big 12 now because of what he's done. At least in part because of what he's done. I, I think that conference's attempt to reshape their footprint probably made Cincinnati a logical choice anyway. But yeah, if, if the last 10, 15, 20 years almost now, the only guy to not succeed at Cincinnati is now a U.S. senator. So you feel okay about them replacing him and moving on. Reportedly, I mean, again, kind of a hot discussion today is that Deion Sanders, it sounds like, is going to move on from Jackson State to, I mean, talk about three different places on, you could Colorado, consider. On, Colorado, Colorado, Cincinnati, or South Florida are the places he's considering. Oh, God, please. Come on, Colorado. It would be entertaining. It would be I want him to go to Colorado for one very specific reason, because then they won't hire Ryan Walters away from Illinois. Sure, another very pos- very strong possibility. Um so before we get too far away from this, though, we'll, we'll talk briefly then about Matt Rule at Nebraska. Has obviously yet to announce any staff decisions. It's just a few days ago that this news came down, but a very successful guy in the college ranks. I mean, basically the reason that he got the job and the contract he did in Carolina was because of the success he had in completely rehabilitating a cratered out culture at, at Baylor. Really, one of the more surprising NFL hires because if you, it's you don't usually think of like it's a skill set that doesn't translate to the NFL. Or I don't even know if it doesn't translate. I don't think it's important. I don't really think it's super important. Like unless you're an Urban Meyer level of bad at establishing locker room culture for professionals. Actually, I mean, I think Jeff Saturday has proven that being an NFL head coach, um, it's a lot more important that you not be a gigantic asshole. Yeah, that like, you it's may- <laughs> a lot more important that you not be a kind of a, a gigantic prick that everybody hates than that you grind all the tape and, and work people really hard. Because Jeff Saturday came in with, with no experience, basically no experience in coaching. And immediately beat Josh McDaniels, who won, he had as a commentator said, man, the Raiders look horrible, like 10 days earlier. <laughs> got hired and beat the Raiders. Uh, and then, yeah, as you say, like... Not has not exactly embracing and shouting about the I'm here 25 hours a day mindset. So, yeah, it, probably another talking point in the line of college coaches just can't do it in the NFL. I think it's just, even now with college moving in a more professional direction, you, know, you can pay your players now. Uh Still a very different skill set, to be sure, because it is still a different level of professionalism for the players involved. Um, you still have different amounts of support staff. I mean, there's no limit to how many staffers NFL teams can hire, and they have dozens and dozens of guys grinding tape. Well, there's also apparently no limit to how many Alabama can hire. Right, but that's like one college program, and you're not getting saving. He ain't yeah. going back to deal with players who don't want to run sprints. So, 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's the whole deal. So so yeah, rules rule was always a weird NFL fit for me. I think he's much more likely to succeed in a return to college than, say, an Urban Meyer would be. I think if Urban ever does return to college, it will be a disaster. And a hugely entertaining disaster, most likely. But I think the the vibe around how college locker rooms work seems to have shifted dramatically in the last two years. I don't think he would do well with it. Well, and, and that rule, you know, he did not cover himself in glory. But he didn't do anything off the field to embarrass himself he didn't do anything. Like no. I don't think you yeah. have players really saying bad things about him. Uh, it w- it was a dysfunctional organization. It was just not really the right. Fi- I I just didn't really ever see him as an NFL guy. Somebody did. They offered him a lot of money. You know what's he gonna say? No. And it may well be. I mean, everything I've read about um, Tepper, the new owner of the yeah. Panthers, kind of suggests that he's basically like a Steinbrenner, like. If it doesn't work immediately, I'm going to change it and find somebody else who went like... Yeah. It feels like the organization is going to have some turn because of that. So anyway, rule returning to Nebraska, it's not as big of a rebuild as Baylor was. Like, there's still going to be some talent on this roster, but you know, make no mistake, there there can't be a whole lot of guys on that roster who really sincerely believe in the ability of that team to win much right now because of what you saw. I mean, up until in the last game of the season... Iowa had a corner, had a major piece on the defense get hurt, and they were able to put Trey Palmer against that replacement and actually make something out of it. Again, we're spoiling the details a little bit, but until that point, like, what proof of concept did Nebraska have that this team was as good as it was supposed to be on paper? But Rule has been really good in turning these situations around and turning around quickly. Now, it will probably not be instantaneous because year one for him at Baylor was pretty bad. But if you give him some time, there's... Certainly a direct when we example. say some time, we're talking two, three years. Two. A minimum of two. Again, in year two, you would probably see some progress. Transfer rules are even easier now than they were when he was at Baylor. So year two sounds fine. Again, year one, if he only wins two, three, four games, it's a hard pill to swallow, but it shouldn't be too surprising. Uh, and, like, you know, at, at this point... If you go through a long enough period like this from experience, you, you just kind of get you get that instant return hope, you know, a, a bit beaten out of you to where you're just like, look, okay, I will suffer some slings and arrows for a bit if I can be convinced of the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Right? I imagine that Nebraska fans are prepared to not be very good in their first season. Um, I imagine this was not the case with Scott Frost. Right. Uh, but his tenure was such an abject disaster without a single winning season that I imagine they understand that they're pretty far away. Boy, did you see... I don't think there was even an author attributed to this. I think it was done by, like, the whole staff of, I think, the World Herald. The thing that they put together... I think it was, like, a book about him, basically, when he was hired. This happens a lot, especially with coaches who are alumni of the school. Are you talking about the comic book? No. No, it's a book. Ah. Um, and at the end of it, it's, you know, some wistful gaze off into the distant future. Um, <laughs> it's all kinds of... Uh, really, masturbatory is the only word. Um, 
scenes of like stages and the inevitable progress to a return to Nebraska hegemony with Frost at every step of the way. And so, it, you know, the first time he beats Urban Meyer to win the Big Ten championship in like 2024, I think they predicted better. So I, I don't remember exactly who it was, but anyway, I'm going to have to dig that up is my point because things like that will be written about Fickle at Wisconsin and about Rule at Nebraska and probably not as enthusiastically this time as they were for Frost. I just wonder, like, how many apparently good coaches have to flame out before journalists stop doing these hilarious things? I just feel like with Frost, they went in so hard. And Chris was not that different from Frost. I mean, certainly he he took over a program. Like, when I say he wasn't that different from Frost, I mean, obviously the hype was way bigger for Frost because he had to turn around a program, whereas Chris was taking over a successful program, but Chris was also a Wisconsin quarterback who yeah. had been there before, and, you know, there it's not similar in scale, but similar in tone, right? I feel like for Nebraska, you got to feel like, if not humility, then there's one spitting twice shy. Um, yes, I, well, again, they'll be more hesitant to go all in on him, I would think, because... They did just see what happened last time. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here with my brain telling me not to believe any of the signs that Illinois is any good at football right now. Okay, I'm telling it's, you, you get you get hurt by these same things a few times. Your guard's gonna be up. Understandable. You folks have listened to it all year. I've tried to drag him into accepting that Illinois is going to win that Virginia game. Sooner or later, I'll get him on board with the concept. Uh, but all right, we've been talking about Nebraska, we've been talking about big picture, but now we got to move into the actual game results as we sit here and Thanksgiving recedes in the rearview mirror. So we'll start with, start with uh, Black Shirts Friday as those same Huskers pull off the 24-17 win over Iowa. Nebraska tried to do their thing as the fall guy. They really did. They tried <laughs> to give this game up because they throttled back on the offense after jumping out to a big lead. Stopped throw. I mean, so Cooper DeGene gets hurt pretty early in this game. Nebraska or Iowa's star nickel defensive back, also a punt returner of of considerable talent. He gets hurt pretty early. Spencer Peters also got hurt early in this game, so they had to go to Alex Padilla, the backup. Oh no! And well, he, and again, what you saw is he really wasn't all that different. He's definitely better than Peters was, but not by that much. Um, but early in the game, Trey Palmer is uncoverable. I mean. Part of the reason that Nebraska gets this big score is it's like an 87-yard touchdown earlier because, again, yeah. Palmer is going to be an NFL receiver. He's probably going to be pretty good. Nebraska just has not consistently used him. It certainly did not help matters that Casey Thompson, the only guy apparently with the ability to get him the ball, was hurt for a big chunk of the year. Now that Thompson was back, they're hitting plays downfield, and then once they get up, they stop doing it. And then they turn instead to a run game that gave 28 carries to their running backs at just a little more than two yards of carry. So when they got up to a 10 nothing lead, I said something to the effect of, three more touchdowns and I'll believe it. <laughs> it yeah. actually took yeah. two touchdowns to put it away. It took two touchdowns, that have, yeah, and and they could have could have kicked a field goal to lock it up and decided not no, to. So. At 17 nothing, I bet Iowa live money line. At 24 nothing, I put some more money on <laughs> Iowa live money line because... It really wasn't until the very end of the game that I was completely convinced that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, so... But again, the comeback attempt comes up short. 
Um, for Iowa, what is the offseason chatter look here like? There's, like, Padilla already hit the transfer portal, so he's out. Petrus could or could not take a COVID year if he felt like it. There, I'm trying, maybe it was Feldman who mentioned that they would make sense as a destination for Cade McNamara, also hitting the portal from Michigan. I don't know why he wants to go there, to be honest with you, if he wants to play in the NFL. Like, that's not an offense that will showcase his talent. So what, does he want to go and back up a guy that's been in Iowa's system for three years? Because that's what's going to happen. Well, but all right, so when you say that, remember, Padilla's gone. Petrus only has one year left, even if he comes back. And there's nobody, there's a gap in the depth chart after that. Deuce Hogan left. Yeah, but Joey... uh, Lamos is a freshman now. Oh, that's true. He's well, a, he still he still has been on the depth chart for a year. Technically, but according to practice reports, it sounds as though they hate how athletic he is. So <laughs> that could be an advantage for McNamara. That's and it would true. it would also complete the player to be named later aspect of sending Rudock to Michigan several years ago. So you'd be wondering when the Iowa front office was gonna take care of that. This could be an opportunity to get that done. So But well, why exactly would Cade McNamara do this to himself? I don't know. I don't. Mm, I, I don't know. I don't know why he would. There are going to be plenty of other destinations. Again, it's, you get a little bit of quarterback musical chairs every season. There are going to be places you could go and play in a better offense than this. About all you would say is, if he really likes throwing to a good tight end, even with Sam Laporta presumably heading to the NFL draft, Luke Lachey had a bit of a breakout in this game. He's a guy I know our, our Iowa contingent have been talking about him and saying he's going to be every bit as good. And I'm like, yeah, he probably will. And Turns out in this game, yeah, he probably will. Because even without Sam Laporta, they still moved the chains and got a couple scores on the board, mostly going to Lachey and Nico Ragaini. They were very careful to pronounce every vowel in his name on the broadcast. So maybe we've been saying it wrong for like eight years or however long he's been there. Well, I understand that Cade does not have much in the wheels department, but if he wants to hand the ball off, throw short, and not turn the ball over... And then have everybody go nuts for him anyway, because that's all he does. Uh, he come down to Illinois. We don't ask much. And he would be, with the exception of O'Connell, yeah, you could make the argument that he would be better. He would have been better than every quarterback in the Big Ten West. I don't think it's even much of an argument, really. Him and DeVito, I'd, I'd probably still take McNamara. Well, I mean, for the offense that they run, though, I think you need a little, a little more wheels than McNamara had. But uh, that's that's academic. Yeah. All right. We've also segued nicely into the big game of the week by talking about Michigan. So the game, Saturday in the noon kickoff on ABC. Michigan 45, Ohio State 23. And that halftime score, I believe, was 20-17 to 17 Buckeyes, if I remember that correctly. If not, it's something like that. It was tight at halftime. Yeah, it was 20-17 to 17 Buckeyes. And then and basically... Then, they, uh, um, most of the plays that Ohio State allowed were very small, and then some of them were extremely large. Yeah, still a lot of busts in the defense, and for the second year in a row now, Michigan has run away from the Buckeyes in the second half because their run game has commanded so much attention from Ohio State. Ohio State's been unable to win with a normally stacked box at the line of scrimmage, so they put more bodies in creates lots of single matchups, and also means that if they do miss a run fit, there's nothing behind it to soak it up. So Basically, long, Michigan yeah. was dedicated to preventing big plays. Ohio State's defense 
um, basically it? caused big plays for Michigan. Yeah, they were well, they were trying to do the obvious, which is to shut down because. Again, and this is maybe this has been intentional for the last two years to set up this game. And if it is, then I guess all of our complaining probably has to stop. In that, if Michigan's goal has been to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt, look, we will absolutely go four yards at a time down the field all game if you let us to make Ohio State load the box and give space on the outside for big plays in this game, then mission accomplished. Um, I still think it's setting a little bit of a lower ceiling than they could have. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the year goes for them, obviously, but still. Look, I will admit, masterstroke by J.J. McCarthy, if he really did spend all of a couple weeks ago throwing at a first-round pick over and over again like an idiot just to mess with Ohio State. I don't know if it's quite that micro of a level, but I'm saying like in terms of how they've designed their offense. Yes. Well, in any case, uh, Ohio State just kept bringing... Zero looks. I mean, mm-hmm. and of course, every time I think back to back zero blitz, what else I think is pucker, pucker, pucker. It wakes up the echoes of Mike Valenti, and it's also not really untrue. Uh, Ohio State suddenly, after making several huge mistakes on defense, suddenly became terrified to make big mistakes on offense. Yeah. Which, at that point, the game was lost. It is, and it's. Think of how completely the vibe in this has changed from, not two years, like a year and a couple weeks. Like, go back to before this game was played last year. You were coming off a season in which Michigan ducked Ohio State during the COVID year. They did. They didn't want to play him. They wiggled out of playing the game, thinking they probably would have gotten killed. We've gone from that to back-to-back dominations as complete as anything we've seen in Ohio State's run of, of control of this rivalry. So... The shoe is now very much on the other foot. And if Ryan Day wants to keep his job, and make no mistake, despite his absurd overall and conference records, if he loses this game again, I think they will fire him. Well, what, I mean, what are your stated goals at Ohio State? You, you, you need to beat Michigan, and then you need to win national titles. Big Ten titles... You can win them if, if it's a necessary. Does that. Well, it's a necessary step along the way well, with a conf- really, with the conference title is game. Is it really? There was a time Ohio State stuck into the playoff without getting to the Big Ten title game. And how did that go though? Because they weren't good enough to win the Big Ten, they were not really good enough to actually be in the playoff either. But anyway, um, yeah. So look, I just saw an, an article, a paywall article, so one that I wish I had had details on. Of a Tennessee Titans beat writer arguing that if Day loses next season, Ohio State should back the truck up for Mike Rabel and try to get him to come home. Um, I don't know if a successful NFL coach leaves, but then would you have thought Jim Harbaugh would leave the Niners to go to a college job? Well, the difference in that being the 49ers as an organization was blowing up. Yes, and their, their dumbass of a general manager won the power battle with Harbaugh... And because of that, they wandered in the wilderness for a few years, and then all the picks they got from being terrible turned them around. <laughs> Basically, is how that went. So, see, all which, see yeah. going and leaning into being terrible for a second can do you good instead of just you know having one foot in the we're competing now and one foot in the building for the future pool, and then you just end up being really good for a long time and never getting to the Super Bowl again. But enough about that. I understand your wife's a Steelers fan, and so as such, you're required to listen to that kind of talk all the time. But this is a college podcast, so we're going to try to keep it on the rails. 
That's funny. That was that applies equally to both our teams. Just a couple of yellow, yellow, and just like you know, if you go, if you're talking about redlining, like you're yellow lining, you're just right on the middle. Although four and seven is really not. Right um, okay, so again, for Michigan, very much vindication that last year was not a one-off, and despite the longer trends, I mean, again, Ohio State fans can still say, what is it, like 19-4 and four or something, that's still 0-2. The vibe now feels durable enough that I think the onus is on Ohio State to prove that this is not the new normal in this rivalry. There's nothing about this game that felt like a fluke or that felt impossible to repeat. Basically, regardless of who they lose, Michigan will have several offensive linemen go to the draft. Blake Corum will be gone. But they have Donovan Edwards back. They'll have McCarthy back. They have a lot of their receivers. They've proven the ability to find tight ends. And they've recruited on the offensive line such that they might not be quite as good next year, but they're going to be very good. Well, so last year, I guess, usually you say four years and it's fully your program, right? Mm -hmm. Scott Frost, year four, that's all him, right? Yeah. Well, with Ryan Day... Kind of year three was probably fair to say because people don't stay at Ohio State for much longer than that. Uh, but even so, this is year four. This is not Erwin Meyer anymore. This is Ryan Day. This is what Ryan Day Ohio State looks like. And what, it, what, what Ryan Day Ohio State looks like is their defensive front isn't good enough to win them games like this anymore. It used to, I mean, whatever you want to say about Urban Meyer, he always had incredible defensive line play. Think about the Bosa's, Chase Young, but also all the guys on the interior that they had year after year after year, multiple guys that would become NFL caliber players after waiting their turn, always had deep, extremely good defensive lines. That has noticeably slacked off a little bit. Even though, again, like they, I think they still have Larry Johnson, the legendary line coach working for them. They still get excellent recruiting results on paper, but something is different. Um, it could just be that this particular batch of talent just isn't as good as the ones they happened to find before. But whatever it is, this defense is not as good. And it's, again, Jim Knowles, first-year coordinator. And you have to say, for most of the year, the results were better. But when they came up against a real steamroller of a run game, it looked the same. Yep, I mean, it, it, I mean, I guess it didn't look quite the same because Michigan was not as consistent, but... You allowed five enormous plays to get by you. That, they, they, they went with an all-or-nothing approach, and so that means that the plays, you know, it wasn't as consistent as it was last year, but it was much more explosive, and you still ended up allowing 200 yards to a running back, even if it wasn't 15 yards at a time, even if sometimes he went for zero yards and sometimes he went for 85. Yeah. Oh, and that's the other side of it, which is the other thing Urban Meyer was always underratedly good at was elite secondary play. Where are the first-round picks in this Ohio State secondary? Because there are still plenty of blue-chip players who have the ability to do that. But I don't know that anyone out of this secondary is getting drafted this year or next. Maybe uh, Denzel Burke probably will, but anyway. All right, enough talk about that. we got to move on. Uh, fortunately, this next one will not take long at all. Rutgers 0, Maryland 37. I will say, although this has the look of a total whitewash, it was a scoreless tie at the end of the first quarter, which is consistent with the kind of Rutgers way of doing things, which is, now we're just going to get in there and muck it up with you, uh, uh, make everything really shitty and yeah, slow gonna, for the whole first quarter. really, really messy. Ain't nobody going to like looking at this. 
and then we're gonna run out of plays. Uh, we're gonna be gonna, really dirty, you see. And we're gonna not get any yards, and your offense will eventually figure our shit out, and we ain't got enough guys to play the whole game. You ain't gonna want to look at this. It's gonna be dirty, okay? But we're gonna get it done. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then they didn't get it done. Ultimately, not enough depth or firepower for Rutgers to keep up with Big Ten teams on a consistent basis. That's just what the situation is. And so you got to wonder now, does this at some point say something about a Shiano? Well, at the end of year three, they, you remember what the record, what were they, four and eight? Four and eight. I think next year's got to be a bowl or the seat heats up a little bit, doesn't it? If it if it doesn't heat up at that point, then aren't you admitting that there are no expectations of this program? Yeah, I mean, because it, it, it's a bit of a thing where... Um... Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When, when we had that part where it looked like Michigan had stagnated under Jim Harbaugh, well, Michigan had stagnated under Jim Harbaugh. They had, yeah, no the question. question yeah. was... If not Jim Harbaugh, then who? Well, if not Greg Schiano, then who? Much truer at Rutgers, by the way, than it ever was at Michigan, because the answer to if not Harbaugh, then who, it's pick an NFL coordinator, pick a coordinator from any elite program that you want, pick the best group of five coach in the country, pick whoever, and there's a very good chance that Michigan is going to be a job that they choose to take. That is not the case with Rutgers. Where you have the least privilege. No, if it's not going to be Harbaugh to take them to the promised land, right? If it's not going to be Greg Schiano, who's it going to be? Well, again, like, there, there's really Look, no telling. He was the man with the plan. I think, assuming that he would be able to recreate what he did in the mid-2000s Big East in the 2020s Big Ten is a, is a bit of a reach. Um, I thought it was a reach when they hired him. I don't. You didn't really like the hire at first either, right? And that's not to say that we know he isn't going to work, but this was not exactly a confidence-building season. Like, what about how Rutgers played this year tells you, oh yeah, next year, seven or eight wins for sure, they're going to be a lot better. What did you see that would make you think that? I mean, they fired their coordinator. That's... Not really a thing I saw on the field. No, midseason. And so I guess what you can take from that, if you're looking on the bright side, is at least he knows that something here is not working and he needs to change it up. Now, the results after that. Next year, where Maryland is now. And they're 37 points worse than that right now. Right. And so let's talk about the other side of that. Um, Maryland had both their best season under Mike Loxley, certainly by the eye test by a wide margin. and they also figure to slot into the conference's seventh best bowl slot um, because landing at 7-5 puts you behind Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Purdue, Illinois, Minnesota. So that, I don't, the bowl, the bowls change names every year. I don't know which ones are called, but that puts you like guaranteed rate pinstripe area. Well, I already went to the pinstripe bowl recently, if I'm not mistaken. 
yeah, this last year, beat up on that Virginia Tech team. Yeah. Um, so probably not there, but still. You've well, also, you're also they potentially... had their chances in conference play, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisconsin was a 6-6 six and six team they did very poorly against. Yeah. They had a definite chances to beat Purdue that they did not take advantage of. Um, you know, several teams had some chances to beat Purdue that they did not take advantage of. It is only fitting that Maryland be punished for failing to put away Purdue. A lot of people had a lot of vested interest in Maryland putting away Purdue, but alas, they could not do it. A lot of people. We don't know. We, a lot of people are saying is <laughs> we're going here. So, Many people. I'm hearing this more and more. But a lot is up in the air for this Maryland team, right? You figure a lot of their pieces on offense are probably going to be gone. You have Jalen Duncan seems to be consistently mock as a first rounder. He's going to go. Rock Jarrett will probably be drafted. Tonga Vailoa uh, broke the school's career passing touchdown record. He could return for a COVID season next year, and I think, I didn't check game by game, but given the number of snaps he played at 2019, I think he probably preserved his red shirt there too. He could have two more years as their starter, I think. It would depend on whether he kept that red shirt intact in 2019 or not. And again, I'm sorry, I, I didn't care enough to check. If he comes back, I think they have an entirely different feel to them. You could argue again, like, Around the division, it's like him and McCarthy, and then there's a big drop-off to everyone else, right? Oh, there's also whoever Ohio State rolls out. I guess. Um, Kyle McCord looked very good. He's mostly played garbage time. But yeah, <laughs> again, I won't make the mistake again of mocking the rest of the blog when they say, I vote unnamed Ohio State quarterback as number one in the Big Ten going into last year. I was like, you, you absolute chuckle fucks. They all turned out to be right, but I still. We're I think not they should have been. To say that Michael Penix is a good quarterback. They should have. They should have been made to at least pick a winner in the quarterback competition. Like if you can't even tell me who he is, you can't actually think he's going to be the best. It, it, fuck those guys. Uh, all the more proof, by the way, that there's definitely some system working here. Because yes, whoever was the quarterback for Ohio State being last year was going to have Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba to work with. It, but anyway. So, <laughs> uh, all right. I can't avoid it any longer. Let's talk about my crappy team and their crappy game. Michigan State 16, Penn State 35. Did you happen to see uh, Sean Clifford getting caught during the game on the sideline going, we have to cover? <laughs> I didn't. Um, my recollection is the line was actually 19 and a half, or did it sell to a flat 19? Because either way, they didn't cover. It's either they either missed it by a half or they pushed. So, <laughs> ooh, they pushed. <clears throat> Nobody gets their money, Sean. How do you like that? Um, well, there are some people who are celebrating and others who are saying, "You've got to be kidding me." <laughs> okay, Brent, we get it. You gamble. Uh, so this game <clears throat> looked closer than I figured it would on a down-to-down basis. But it eventually became the same old story where Michigan State made lots of really huge, really costly mistakes. Um, and were, it also manifested in the form of them being unprepared for anything remotely tricky. And those are really discouraging signs at the end of a year three because they are signs that maybe the coaching is not super good. Um, take, for example, so at the end of last year, Jaden Reed was a bit of a surprise return to college. I was almost sure he was going to go to the NFL draft. 
he's size wise he is limited but that's not going to change like he's not going to grow three inches you know four or five years into college but I thought that he should have gone and made his money he came back he had a weird injury early in the season like cut his back sliding into a bench early on um very strange but anyway had a very underwhelming season generally speaking dropped a lot more balls at just critical moments over the course of the year and in this game Lost two fumbles and could have lost a third. One on a punt return, that was the easiest punch out I've ever seen. And another on sort of a lateral swing pass kind of thing that was not a great throw, but fell to his feet, was definitely a backwards pass. And he just kind of watched as a Penn State guy picked it up and recovered it. It's like, dude, that kind of thing is like, that's a coaching detail, which is if you're not sure if it's a fumble, you have to jump on it. And as a senior, he didn't do that. So that's, one example of why I am very concerned about the direction of the coaching. And the other was this play, the back-breaking touchdown. Penn State's in the red zone. They set up a diamond formation of four receivers to the left. Michigan State has three guys on that half of the field. It turns into a touchdown because nobody gets off their block, and so Nick Singleton can just sort of crab walk into the end zone, um, has plenty of time to play a touchdown dance. After the game, Mel Tucker said, yeah, we saw that. We didn't call a timeout. Xavier Henderson said, yeah, I saw that. I thought about calling a timeout. I decided, now oh, let's just play the game. Um, so Michigan State's head coach and their senior captain, the only reason that the defense even kind of worked this year for some stretches, both looked at a three-on-four matchup with Penn State's athletes and said, no, we're perfectly comfortable sending these three defensive backs from a depleted secondary out so this that, looks bad, but you know what? I'm going to let it ride. Exactly. It's, it, exactly. It's letting it ride when the ball's already spinning and you didn't put any chips on the table. Like, it's absolutely asset. So it's like, all right, all we have to do is, again, a very injured secondary with freshmen and backups all, all, all over the place. Somebody has to fight through a block from Penn State starters to be able to tackle Nick Singleton in space. Sure. That's the play that this defense should be trying to make at this point in the year. Um and then the kicking thing. I'm just going to put a bow on this. It didn't really make a difference in the game, but Michigan State kicked a 51-yard field goal in this game. They sent out Jack Stone, the freshman, to do it. He had not kicked in a long time, like a month. The suggestion was that he was hurt, but you can never tell because this coaching staff doesn't say anything about injuries. What they do say is kind of not true a lot of the time. So anyway, Stone goes out there and kicks. You may remember, we didn't get to, get to talk about this because we missed a week, but the kicking game against Indiana was an absolute disaster and cost them the game, both in terms of kick return coverage and in field goal attempts. It genuinely was some Scott Frost, Nebraska stuff where as I was getting the game narrated to me because we were watching another game, I was saying, they need to score a touchdown. They're going to miss the field goal no matter how short it is. I was saying this as Leah was describing the game to me. Yeah, I well, as they were driving down and like the clock's winding down, I was like, they're acting like they're setting up for a field goal. And Chris is like, well, shouldn't they do that? Like, if they kick the win as time expires. I was like, well, a, a good Yeah, a lot of teams would do that. But that this, and like, with like a couple minutes left, I'm like, they're setting up for a game-winning fit. So anyway, I don't want to relive it all. But all which is to say, if you remember the kicking game misadventures that they've had, that was only the pinnacle. They've been terrible all season. Their long snapper got hurt. Both kickers have supposedly been injured. But again, I don't trust anything that this staff says about injuries. 
They cycled all season. Ben Patton has never looked like a kicker capable of doing it at this level, but they keep giving him chances. But then against Penn State, they finally send Stone back out there. He smacks a 51-yarder right down Main Street. It would have been good from 60. He entered the transfer portal yesterday. Mic drop. <laughs> and I can't blame him, because if he was actually he, healthy did, enough did to do that. Did he do the swaggy pee as it was on its way? Did he, did he turn around and make the threes as the kick no. was on his way? Uh, <laughs> he should have he well, done the swaggy pee. And then, uh, and then tweeted, fuck Michigan State with the two C's. <laughs> two C's. Here's what I would say is, I don't know if he did because, of course, they don't give you that angle on Big Ten Network. They don't actually show the kicker after the... They should have, like, a little cut-in, right? Big screen is the ball's trajectory towards the goalpost. Little screen, what's the kicker feeling like? I think I just came across something. Like, wouldn't you want to, like... The kicker's going to know almost every time whether it's going in or not. And... If he doesn't, it's hilarious. Yes, if he like puts his arms up like, oh yeah, and then it just like shanks like 12 yards wide. I laugh my ass off at that. Anyway, you can tell how much I don't want to talk about this game. So, yeah, it's... But that defensive play that I was talking about, there have been way too many of those this year. The kicking thing last week. The, it, it's just, Every week there's something um, with this coaching staff and with this team. So, year three comes to a close... There have been way too many of those moments for me to conclude that Mel Tucker is anything but a James Franklin on the field, and he has not done anywhere near the same amount of work in recruiting that James Franklin has. He hasn't been there as long. He still could get to that level. But if he needs to get a Franklin-Penn State level of talent to overcome the amount of idiotic mistakes he makes on game day, that's a difficult road to hoe. Um, From the Penn State side of this, they send Sean Clifford and these other seniors out with a nice win on senior day. They get a trophy back. Michigan State empties out the trophies. We had nothing left. Everything's gone. Um, there are now a near certain New Year's Six Bowl invitee and apparently some discussion today. The Rose Bowl's thinking about inviting them over Ohio State. Well, yeah, because Ohio State fans don't care about the Rose Bowl. You, yeah, honestly, like, and would they be more or less likely to go to the Rose Bowl this year than last? It's a pretty easy call. Penn State hasn't been there since 2016. And the Rose Bowl has a policy that if there's a cluster of similar teams at the same tier, they can pick. Penn State's not that much worse than Ohio State. So um, I'm sure Ohio State would be mad about it online. But again, you weren't excited about this game anyway. So let somebody go. Who cares? How many of your players are going to opt out of the bowl anyway? (laughs) If Penn State gets to go to the Rose Bowl, their stars might actually show up. Um, Big picture for Penn State. I've been banging on this drum all year, um, but man, with they've got some dudes. Um, Abdul Carter on defense, Singleton and Catron Allen on offense. Drew Aller is going to be taking over at quarterback next year. They've got a nucleus of really nice young players. They, another big piece of news for Shanu, their incredible left tackle, uh, is going to pass on the draft, so he's coming back next year. I think the I think the timeline might end up moving up for Penn State. I was basically expecting 2024 to be their peak year, but. They got some dudes, man. They're young, but if you consider even a normal offseason of progression from what they've got, you know, they'll lose some bodies in the secondary. They always do. But they've recruited enough there that you can kind of expect the next wave of guys to be just just as good. So they'll be the third best team in the Big Ten. All right, Minnesota 23, Wisconsin 16. There's a glimmer of hope in what you saw in this game that Ethan Kaliak Mattis might actually offer them a higher ceiling ceiling vertical passing game we'll see if they ever actually want to use it um but you know although this is an eight win team and a a team that 
with their age, with the amount of attrition they're going to have, you kind of have to feel like this is a missed opportunity to win the division um, that might not come for a couple more years. But it also feels like if Fleck wins this game and or the Iowa game more often than not, he can probably plug along there indefinitely. Does it? I don't get, at least not at this point. Well, if he ever beats Iowa. Right. That's why I said and or. Um, but I do not get... Of course, if he replaces Wisconsin with Illinois as a game he can't win anymore. <laughs> I don't think their fans are going to care about that as much. If they're winning the Axe, I think losing to Illinois yeah. is not going to bother yeah, them. Yeah, that is absolutely true. I'm sure they would make that trade in a heartbeat. Um, but it does. But they've got to beat Iowa first because he's also now lost to Jeff Brom. And in doing so, lost the division because yeah. this was... Had they beat... They were one of two teams that, had they beaten Purdue, would have won the division based on being 6-3 and three and having the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I was looking at? Unless I miss my... Unless I miscalculated here, Bo Ibrahim could return for another year. <laughs> he, he was injured... Right, remember last year? He was hurt in the Ohio State game. First game of the year. He could take a medical red shirt. He would have to apply for it, I believe. But... He, told, he didn't tear his ACL like they're gonna or it wasn't Achilles like they're gonna give yeah. it to him. Um, God, just think about how many more carries they would shove down that poor kid's throat. For the Wisconsin side of this game, the Jim Leonard era ends with a bit of a thud. Certainly feels like allowing 300 passing yards to PJ Fleck. Is yeah, the nail in the coffin. If it wasn't already sealed shut, uh, that erased any doubt as to whether or not Jim Leonard should be the guy. Well, if they were able to make a move quickly for the likes of Luke Fickle, I would expect that this game probably didn't factor in their decision-making. I, right. I think, as you're suggesting, that, yeah, they'd probably decided at some point earlier. And I I never know. I, I, I wonder to what extent the results on the field even do matter in your evaluation of an interim. Like, in most cases, you're not going to give the guy the job. It's Unless the guy goes basically undefeated and the locker room threatens to transfer en masse if you fire him. Jesus, it's a good thing Mickey Joseph didn't earn the Nebraska job in light of recent events. Yeah. So, you no, know, that this seems like one of those things where it's like, you've got the text all typed up, and you're just ready for the last thing yeah. that makes you yeah. get sent. So, his future will be an interesting thing to watch. Uh, I can't imagine he's going to be willing to stay on staff and coordinate for a different coach than the guy he worked for after he was the interim for a bit. Like, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Luke Fickle is going to bring in his defensive coordinator, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, well, you would expect that. Although, Fickle was asked about it, and he said, yeah, I'm going to talk to Jim if I can... Like, I forget exactly how he phrased it, but basically saying, if there's any way I can keep that guy around, hell yeah, I'm going to look into it. Well, I tell you what, the local National Football League club could certainly use a defensive coordinator, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Leonard will have plenty of opportunities. I mean, honestly... I'm sorry I don't differentiate very well between my Minnesota and my Wisconsin. Well, this is going to be the one that gets us the hate mail, but they're kind of the same people, aren't they? I mean, you grew up close to them. Are they really different? I didn't grow up that close to Minnesota. <laughs> That's the thing. Uh, you have to check every package that comes in with a metal detector now. <laughs> We still get a lot of baby stuff, and uh, it wouldn't be that hard to figure out where I live. Anyway, you know, obviously an, an interesting potential landing spot for Leonard would be the Cincinnati head job that just opened. 
Um, they're going to have that's an appealing job. Like it, it's about to be a Big Absolutely. Twelve job. Long history of success. I, if you're the athletic director, I don't know if you would quite phrase it as, "Hey, look, if you come here, you're going to get a big offer somewhere else." <laughs> like I think you yeah. probably at this point you're probably like, "You're going to stay, right?" That's well, um, like what I've been saying about you know the prospect of somebody getting hired away from Illinois. I mean, if your coaches are getting hired away. That's a good position that's to a good be position in. Yeah. To be in because that means your fans are having fun. Yeah, you were successful right? enough. People that want so- to come to your games. Yeah, you're successful enough that somebody wanted to steal your guy, but also people keep stealing your guy. Um, all right, so Illinois, we brought that up, and again, I I understand there was certainly an opportunity there for the season to be a lot more than it was. Right on paper, probably should beat Michigan State. Definitely should beat Indiana. Would have been a 10-win season and a runaway of the Big Ten West. But ending the season, a season in which I believe the preseason over-under was four and a half wins by most Vegas books, mm-hmm. with an 8-4 and four record and an absolute demolition in the lol hat, things could be worse. Absolutely. It is remarkable that they put together a team from the remnants of Lovey Smith's, um, you know, Lovey Smith's program that was... Capable of winning all 12 games. Uh, you can't tell me that they weren't, given that probably the most sound defeat they took was to Purdue, which was a seven-point game. Yeah. Um, hugely influenced by the by the fact that, that in that game, the, the, that game was called such that Illinois' defensive style was to their detriment. Okay, it's the most diplomatically I can put it, but that is a thing that happens sometimes. You get different ref crews, they call it differently. Sure, they probably got away with a lot of stuff earlier, not so much against Purdue. Things went against them. You know, I just read today that the ref who called the DCFC El Paso game, the one on ESPN, just called the World Cup game between France and Tunisia. (laughs) You shitting me? No, that's a thing that actually happened. I almost wanted to get on that one. Well, I, the stakes involved in Cutter, are you kidding me? He's never going to work again. Anyway, um, as far as this game goes... I have no idea what happened. Yeah, well, I, I didn't watch any of it either. But look, every time I grumblingly try to complain about how bad Michigan State was, how disappointing their season was, I remember that actually they only finished a couple games off of where they were projected to. And I have to hem and haw my way through, like, all right, they're not as bad as Nebraska. It's a team that's utterly disorganized, terrible on defense. They're not as bad as Rutgers. Rutgers has no playmakers. They can't score the ball. And they're nowhere near as bad as Northwestern. Northwestern is bad, bad. They <laughs> fired Jim O'Neill, so... They've lost 17 of their last 18 games. Difficult to do when you do not play an especially challenging non-conference schedule. They, and the... I have no idea who we had on the... Uh, BTN alternate feed, the worst broadcast crew I've ever heard on there. Uh, <laughs> this color guy would absolutely not shut up. Unfortunately, the At entire York. time it was just it was just ridiculous. But he kept trying to speak into existence a repeat of 2019, bringing up how bad Northwestern was in it. And every time he'd bring it up, Sidney Brown would score another defensive touchdown. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. As miserable as Michigan State's game was to watch, I have to say I actually do like um, Noah Eagle and Mark Helfrich. Have you ever heard them on a game together? Yeah, yeah they're decent. They're not bad. Um, so that's progress, at least. But anyway, at some point, I think maybe going into next year's game, you'll listen to me when I tell you Northwestern is not a threat until they get 
themselves back together so long as Illinois has Brett Bielema because he takes this game seriously such that your talent advantage will not be wasted against Northwestern. This does appear to be the case. Uh, I am, of course, very concerned if we lose Ryan Walters because we're going to have to rebuild the entire defense because virtually every starter graduates, especially the secondary, which is going to send players to the NFL. I'm concerned about having to replace a quarterback, although apparently it would be possible to get big-time Tommy in age 25 season. Uh, I'm concerned about getting a quarterback. Uh, I'm concerned that the O-line was nowhere near as good as the Big Ten coaches and media seemed to think it was. It really was all Chase Brown. Uh, I actually watched the games. It really was all Chase Brown doing that. Well, hey, look, Uh, as you mentioned to me today... Western Michigan running back Sean Tyler is now in the portal. Yes, I also forgot that, you know, it's not just he's looking to move. Their coach also got ousted, so that also had something to do with it. Yeah, that's but. true. I forgot Western told Tim Lester, hey, this isn't good enough. I guess I understand it. Again, look, like, de- deciding that you can reach for the stars and get a guy like P.J. Fleck every time is risky, but... If the alternative is being a 500 Mac program and just kind of floating along, you know, being a paycheck game for a couple Big Ten teams a year, never making the conference championship, like, yeah, I get it. I get to, it's it's a manageable buyout. Tell Tim Lester to take a hike. Yeah, they've uh, they've had a taste of the limelight, and once they've had that taste, they're going to keep chasing that dragon. Speaking of chasing that dragon, Illinois could put together a substantially worse football team next year and win more games because, frankly, they had an extremely good team that underperformed. I uh, a lot of stats will show that this was the fourth best team in the Big 10 at at worst. Um some absolute acts of god cost them several games. Um and some, you know, some key injuries, some very conservative tendencies on offense um led to an offense that had absolutely no explosive potential and of course this alarming decision to keep Going for it inside the 10, I am convinced that Alex Polchewski went went rogue and false started against Michigan so that they'd have to kick the field goal. Um, Taking matters into my own hands, we are kicking this field goal. <laughs> but uh, in any case, the, the conference championship game always seemed like a pipe dream to me anyway. I'm just hoping that they can put together one last run while they still have the Big Ten West together because I love the Big Ten West. And I want a piece of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird affectation you have. But speaking of the Big Ten West and winning it, Purdue 30, Indiana 16. Very different outcome to this game than the vibe early on. After you witness an injury to a teammate like Indiana's sideline saw with Dexter Williams II, I cannot blame you for being a little bit demoralized. And also... It turns out that kind of this option run-based offense is what Walt Bell wanted to do the whole time, and they were just playing Connor Bazalak instead, (laughs) throwing a ball 45 times a game. So it's weird because all roads lead to, all roads apparently lead to Dexter Williams suffering a tragedy on the field today, or that day. I guess. Uh, Boy, he was very fun to watch in his one game. Uh, made things go smoothly, but it sure looks like the kind of thing that... I didn't care to watch him in the previous game, yeah. it's what it is. Um, but if it had been anybody else, if it had been any other team, and that was stand- you would have enjoyed the highlights. And notwithstanding the fact that he is badly hurt, such that you 
it is unclear what his future is. Jack Tuttle and Connor Bazelak both transferred. <laughs> well, uh, so did uh, Grant Grammel. Yeah, Grant Grammel, the former walk-on. Who so was, they have basically no quarterbacks now. Nobody who's played. I, I will be fucking shocked if Dexter Williams can play in the over next year. Yeah, that would, I mean, even like a best-case scenario, there, I mean, a dislocation with ligament damage, yes, it would be quite the recovery if he's able to come back. Um, well, in any case, with Indiana's offense neutralized, Purdue was able to pull ahead in this one and win the bucket in style. They finish 8-4 and four with losses to Syracuse, Penn State. Syracuse, of course, who tried to pull the Zook, uh, but Boston College would not allow them to. So, Indiana did redshirt a quarterback, Brendan Sorsby, a fairly nondescript three-star, so he'll be on the roster. And... I believe they have a guy committed for next year, too. But I don't think he's expected to be an instant starter type. So they have a body and a kid coming in. That's it, though. Your source for Big Ken Kong. It's off tackle. Empire!